I'm deeply honored to have received this award. Unfortunately, I could not attend the ceremony myself, so I sent my daughter to receive it on behalf of my family and I. What does it mean? Well, I dedicate this award to all those who served, both those who have passed away and those who are still living, who served in the struggle to bring an end to apartheid and to bring us to a constitutional democracy. But I also dedicate it to the present generation who are the ones who are now charged with the responsibility of building our future. So that's its significance to me. It is one for my family. It is one for all those who served in fighting against apartheid and all those who today are becoming the builders of tomorrow. Mm. Now let's go back in time. During your time on Robben Island, you served with the likes of the late Nelson Mandela. What are some of your fondest memories of him from those days? What was the biggest lesson you learned from him? The biggest lesson I learned from former President Mandela and from Walter Sisulu was that in life and in the struggle to change society, you always have to make choices, collective choices. And invariably, the consequences that result are not what you planned for. But leadership involves, when those consequences unintended arise, leadership involves not looking backwards to see who to blame, but it t- looks at the current situation and says, this is where we have landed. How do we now move society forward to the goal that we have desire? desire? Hmm. That is what I've learned, that, le- that leadership involves choices, it has consequences, and leadership turns those consequences into an opportunity to, uh, to make choices to advance and show the people which way to march forward. Mm. While on Robben Island as well, you secretly transcribed Nelson Mandela's memoir, Long Walk to Freedom, and smuggled it out of the prison in 1976. Tell us a little bit about that experience. It was a wonderful experience because while we were having classes and we continued them in prison uh, on the struggle, on understanding the political economy of our country, on understanding the need for a disciplined formation, While we had those political classes, working on the autobiography of Mandela meant that I had to go through once more in great detail around the life of one person on the issues of our struggle and how he reacted, what choices he made, what sacrifices he made, and when consequences arose, how he emerged as a leader. Mm. That was a phenomenal exercise, and I think it was a great privilege for me to have been involved in that process. Well, you've worn so many hats over the years from political, uh, really activist, to prisoner, soldier, underground leader, cabinet minister, father. Uh, what has been your biggest learning curve so far? My biggest learning curve is that, and I see this in the current age of the social media, I see how spontaneous and social media mobilization can lead people to get to Tahrir Square in Cairo, to mobilize and resist and stop an autocratic regime. But I also see that it has its limits because without an organization, a tightly knit organization 
to stand at the head of that process, it is unable to move positively forward. It creates the spaces at the same time for the old order to reassert itself. So the biggest thing for me has been the necessity for a disciplined force involving the people as a servant of the people, to stand with the people, to be on guard when the people are celebrating victories because that's when the enemy may ambush you and attack, mm. to be at the front of the people when they are in an attack from the enemy so that you protect the people and emerge as the true servant of the people. Mm. Now, coming to the current political situations and what's currently happening, we have to come to the Ngandla matter. You have been reported as having advised the president from early on to prepare to repay the money. What was your reaction to the recent Concord ruling? I did say in the context of that 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 statement by me was an Mm. unfortunate statement because it was a breach of my terms of contract because I was in a confidential the duty and had just resigned. Mm. I'm not the type of people who engage a person who engages in cheap kiss and tell stories. So. With regards to the present, I have avoided making current comments because they are always read in the context of my last job. Mm. They are not read in the context of my life. So I prefer to not to say anything except to say one thing, that if we want to be builders of the future, it is absolutely necessary that legitimate as they may be our frustrations and our anger, what we need to do with that is to turn those frustrations and anger into an energy and into an energy with a purpose of building the future. Democracy has given us a platform where we can advance without people having to lose their lives in the service of moving forward. Let's use that platform Turn our frustrations, anger, however legitimately grounded it is, and it is legitimately grounded, into energy to advance for and build the future. Talking about the future, would you ever be tempted to return to official politics? No, I retired from Hmm. politics, really, and being a spokesman was not a political post for me. It was a paid job. I retired in 1999, after five years in the first government, when I said to President Mandela, Madiba, I'm not a politician. I'm a freedom fighter. The issues that arise that a politician has to manage is not what my life is about. So I retired in 1999, and by the year 2000, I was still in the executive of the ANC, and I was given duties which I would have to do on weekends and at nights. And I said, comrades, relieve me of that duty. I will remain an ordinary member of the ANC. I'm there behind you. I believe in you. I believe you are the force for change. But relieve me of those active duties as a, a member of. So that's where I am. Mm. I will not return to, to politics. It's not a career of my choice. Mm. I got involved in the struggle, not because I wanted to be a politician, not even because I wanted to be awarded, and not because I did so because I would get an award such as the Lutuli Award today. I got into politics because the choices before us were simple and straightforward. Apartheid and colonialism were such an oppressive and humiliating experience that either you compromised with it and you would live inside yourself with humiliation, or you stood up and fought and you paid the price for that. Hmm. So that's me. That's how I see myself. And that's how I wish my children and my colleagues, and that's how I wish 
people around me would see me. I'm sure most people who are listening to this are wondering, what are you up to and what's next for you? Well, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, within weeks of my retirement, mm. I was diagnosed as having cancer. I've just recovered from that. Mm. It's been a long road. There were other complications. But I said that I would like, and my passion is history, to understand our struggle more and more. I am committed to writing a book with Paulo on the history of the ANC. It's been lagging. I'm trying to get back to writing. I have done some writing at the moment. Next week, I will be participating in a conference on the intent of the founders of our constitution. That conference takes place at Constitutional Hill, and I'm serving on the panel, so I've had to give a lot of thought to what I say. I am looking at some of the writings, deeply disappointed with the way in which history is written today. And therefore, I'm writing a criticism of one of the script, one of the professor's articles that has appeared. I hope that uh, when I finish it, it will be published uh, and serve to lift the caliber of our his- history writing so that we really serve the needs of this advancement of our society and the need for our constitutional democracy to be entrenched.